Let's pray, shall we? Uh, we were reading last week that uh, God's church is God's household, the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Uh, Lord God, that is our aim for Holy Trinity uh, this morning and for all time. We want to be that pillar and foundation of the truth. And we pray that as we look at uh, your words, as we have these things pointed out to us, uh, you would help us to grow up into the church that you want us to be. For your sake we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you can relate to this, but uh, um, every uh, summer, uh, as a child, um, I would go with my brothers and sisters, uh, brother and sister to uh, go and visit my grandparents. They lived down in Devon, and uh, it wasn't a, it, basically our, our, our summer wasn't complete without some kind of trip to the beach. Uh, I love going on the beach. I uh, love being in Norfolk for that reason. You can uh, go, on the, go on the beach as many times as you like. It's, it's great. Uh, the problem was that when I was growing up, there wasn't all, these, all this worry about um, kind of um, safe water in the same way that I think there is now. Uh, and there were several times, I can remember, when we would go down, and I'd be looking forward to our trip to the beach, and then someone would have plastered a sign up saying, sorry, sewage leak somewhere, beach out of bounds. Probably uh, some of us can relate to that experience. And they were right to do that. They weren't being spoil sports. They were warning us because actually if sewage gets into the, into the seawater, it doesn't have to take, a, take very much uh, for it to cause a lot of damage. Uh, and that's kind of like the situation we have here in uh, 1 Timothy. Uh, Paul has been warning Timothy. Timothy is the young pastor of this church in Ephesus. Uh, he's been warning him that there's sewage in the water in Ephesus. Uh, there are some false teachers who've got inside the congregation at Ephesus and they've infiltrated it with a different gospel. It's a gospel that is contrary to the mystery of godliness that we were thinking about last week, that little statement that Paul gave us in verse 16 about the Lord Jesus coming to earth uh, to be our saviour. And if the church really is going to be the pillar and the foundation of the truth, as Paul tells us, that's what every church should be aspiring to, then it's absolutely vital that Timothy, the pastor, gets in and he combats this false teaching. And this morning in our passage, it kind of falls into two halves. Firstly, Paul gives us a portrait of the false teachers and what they're teaching in order for Timothy to be able to spot it and to know what's going on. And then secondly, he gives them a kind of complementary portrait, a portrait of a faithful minister for him to aspire to. So it's kind of the negative, then there's the positive. So that's the way we're going to look at things uh, this morning. Let's have a look at that first positive, that's uh, a negative for, portrait, sorry, a portrait uh, of a false teacher, and it's verses 1 through 2 uh, to 5. Uh, we don't quite know what had prompted uh, Paul writing to Timothy. Maybe Timothy had written back to Paul. Uh, Paul was his mentor, maybe he'd written to him saying, look, we've, we've got this problem in Ephesus, and I'm not really sure what to do about it. Maybe he was caught by surprise. We don't know. Uh, so often we can be very surprised in churches, I think, can't we? That, that churches are not quite the perfect places that we might imagine them to be. Uh, we don't get everything right, uh, whether that's in what we believe, whether that's in what we do. We're not perfect. Uh, but Paul says here that actually we shouldn't be surprised, and Timothy shouldn't be surprised at what he's experiencing. Uh, because, verse 1, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Uh, we're told in Acts that when Paul left Ephesus in order to go to Rome to be tried, 
He warned the Ephesian elders that there would be false teachers who would come like savage wolves. That vivid description that he gave of them. They'd come, they'd get in amongst the flock, and they would wreak havoc uh, in the church in Ephesus. And guess what? His words have been proved true, as we can tell by uh, this letter. It's not just the Ephesians who should be worried. Uh, There's not a church on earth in history who can say that they are totally immune to this situation. Uh, We live like uh, the Ephesians, uh, like Paul, like Timothy do, in the later times. Uh, Just as a reference to the days uh, between uh, the Lord Jesus uh, ascending into heaven and when he will return. That's the, the days in which we live. We live in the later times. And so, as we live in that, as we await for the Lord Jesus returning, uh, we can expect that this will happen to us as well. It's a risk that we should be aware of. Uh, we should be alert to. Maybe we might read these verses and think, Timothy, Paul is being a little bit kind of melodramatic. Maybe he's just being, why is he getting so het up about this problem? I mean, who cares? A couple of guys have gone a bit wrong. Does it, does it really, really matter? Well, we can see as we read on that it really, really does matter. He's absolutely right to take this seriously because the consequences are eternal consequences. Uh, He says, doesn't he, in verse 1, that uh, in later times some will abandon the faith. They're falling away from the authentic gospel. They're being drawn away from the true word of God to follow lies. Lies taught by these men, these hypocritical liars, Paul describes in verse 2, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Uh, They're hypocrites. Uh, Paul says they know the truth. They know full well what they're doing. They know the good news of the Lord Jesus, and yet they've picked up this false teaching. For for whatever reason, they're choosing to teach the false teaching rather uh, than go with the good news of the Lord Jesus. Their consciences have been desensitised. It's like if, if, uh, if your skin gets kind of burnt, or you cauterise a wound. When you cauterise it, it desensitises it. And that's the picture that Paul uses here. Their consciences have been completely desensitised uh, to, uh, to, to what they're up to. Uh, they know that what they say is wrong, but they don't care. And behind it all lies somebody uh, even uh, greater, even worse. It is the arch-deceiver himself, isn't it? Satan himself and his minions, his demons, uh, who is at work. We shouldn't be surprised, should we? The Bible tells us that Satan is the father of lies. That was how Jesus described him. Uh, Jesus also described him as a murderer from the beginning. He's a murderer because he leads people into sin which leads to death. And that's exactly what he's up to in Ephesus. He is always at work, uh, mixing truth with error to catch God's people out and to draw them away from the Lord Jesus. Uh, One of his classic tricks is exactly what we see here in Ephesus. It it is that he undermines subtly what is good. Uh, It's exactly what's happening here in Ephesus. Paul tells us a little bit about what was going on. Verse uh, 3, if you can see with me. Uh, The false teachers are forbidding people to marry and ordering them to abstain uh, from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe. Uh, The false teachers are attacking God's goodness in creation. They're attacking God's good gifts that he's given to his children, and they are saying they're off limits uh, for us. 
Uh, they're focusing in particular on these two areas, aren't they? Uh, food and sexual relations. They're teaching people that marriage is forbidden and that certain foods are off limits. We don't quite know where they got this from. Uh, lots of people have tried to work it out. It's quite possible that there was a whole mixture of stuff going on outside the church. Lots of these ideas are, are quite common in ancient uh, society. But they've got it, and they haven't got it from the Bible. They've got it from somewhere outside, and they have, uh, they're, they're, they've infiltrated uh, the church in Ephesus. Uh, clearly, some of these teachings had appeal. We might look at them and think they seem a bit odd, but actually they do have some appeal for people. I don't exactly know why. Maybe uh, people thought that if they held back from uh, human relationships, if they stopped eating steaks, then somehow they'd look kind of more holy than everyone else. I think in our hearts we long for that quite often, don't we? we, we, we we're not so necessarily so interested in doing the real job. We want to do the, the kind of the easy things that make people uh, think that we're better than we really are. Uh, perhaps that was uh, what was going on here. But Paul's really clear. It's a lie. This isn't teaching of God's words. Uh, why, verse 4? For everything that God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and by prayer. Uh, God's word tells us that God's creation is good. Uh, at the start of Genesis, when God created the world, we're told again and again that God saw that it was good. He declared it good. And if God says it's good, then it is good. And these people have absolutely no right to say that it is otherwise. Uh, to describe God's good creation gifts as, as somehow kind of off-limits for God's people uh, is to insult him, isn't it? It is to say that God got it wrong, basically. It's to reject his, his, his gifts. I mean, imagine at Christmas, if, if somebody gives you a generous gift and you just kind of, well, say, oh, I don't like that, it's not very good, is it? And you reject it. That was a horrible thing to do. That rightly, people would be, uh, be hurt by that. And so it is uh, with God. Uh, it's ignoring his word, it's insulting him, who generously has given us things to enjoy. And Paul says, instead of insulting God in this way, uh, we are to receive what he gives us. We're to enjoy it. Yes, we're to give thanks, uh, uh, but we are to enjoy it. Uh, there was an uh, American uh, writer called Oliver Wendell Holmes who said this, uh, I might once have become a minister if one of the ministers that I knew didn't look like an undertaker. <laughs> I hope that's not true of me, but uh, <laughs> clearly it was true of uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes and his friends who he knew were vicars. Uh, and the thing is that that view kind of ties in often with what the world thinks of Christianity. Vicars are often held up as kind of the, the, the example of being a Christian, whether you like it or not. You're sort of the professional Christian in most people's eyes. You, you represent Christianity to the world. And the problem is that a lot of the world's view of Christianity is exactly that, isn't it? The world thinks that Christians are miserable people who can't appreciate the finer things in life. Uh, they get hung up about sex and relationships. They're always going on about it, and they're, bit, they're just prudes, aren't they? They're a bit difficult. They're not very interested in films because there's probably something going on that they don't really like about that. Or art or something like that. Uh, they don't really appreciate good food and drink because, well, you shouldn't have very much of it and, and it's not very... There's better things that we could be doing. Let's go and have a Bible study instead. And if we're being honest, I'm, I'm kind of caricaturing, but there's a grain of truth in that, isn't there? I, I, I was very convicted when I read these words because I think often that's, that, that, that can be my attitude 
to some of the things that God has given us to enjoy. I think that there are other things that are a little bit more holy, uh, and frankly a little bit more worthwhile to be doing, and maybe I do see myself slightly on a different plane to those who are enjoying them. I don't know. But the Bible challenges us, doesn't it? It says that actually if God has created these things, we are here to enjoy them. And if anybody in the world should be enjoying God's good gifts, surely it should be God's people, the people who know the Creator and who can appreciate it. Uh, Of course, the the way to enjoy it best is within the boundaries that God has set for us. That there is a good side to our our concern about these things. We're we're right to be concerned that, that sex and relationships are to be carried out in the way that God has intended for them within the boundaries that he set, within uh, marriage, lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. Uh, it's right that we're concerned about being careful about what we eat and drink. Uh, the scriptures tell us we're not to go and get drunk. Uh, we are to be filled with the Spirit. But that's a very different thing from saying those things are completely off-limits, which is what was happening at Ephesus. And I suspect there's more truth in that, or there's more that we can relate to than we might initially Uh, care to think. Uh, An authentic gospel-shaped church, says Paul, and this is what really 1 Timothy is all about. It's being a church that's gospel-shaped and gospel-driven. An authentic gospel-shaped church is a church that celebrates God's creation and it rejects false teaching that denies it. And we can do it in the full knowledge that one day Jesus will return and he will renew creation in, in its entirety. He won't destroy it, he will renew it. And he will purge it of all the things uh, that spoil it now. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's a gospel-shaped church. Well, let's uh, have a look at the second half uh, of this passage. And uh, and Paul gives us now a portrait of a faithful minister in contrast to this portrait of the false teachers. We said that Timothy was a young pastor, and and maybe he was a bit unsure about how he should be responding to this situation in Ephesus. I I think if I was in his situation, I would uh, probably be writing to my mentor as well, I suspect. Uh, But even even if he did know how to respond, maybe he was struggling to know what he should be aspiring to. You know, he perhaps can spot the bad, but what should he really be looking for? And what should he be aspiring to in his ministry? And I think Paul gives us some uh, tips here on uh, where he should be going. Uh, The first thing he points out for us is that a faithful minister is a minister who nourishes himself and his congregation with the gospel. Verse uh, 6, Paul says, If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Uh, Notice there is a public and a private dimension to his task, public and private. Uh, He is uh, charged to point these things out. So to show his brothers and sisters in Christ the gospel truths that he himself has been taught, that have been passed on to him uh, by other people. Uh, When he does this, he will not only build the church up and he will will, uh, kind of combat the false teaching, but Paul says that he will show himself to be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Isn't that what every minister should be aspiring to? A good minister of Christ Jesus. Uh, This is very, very countercultural stuff, especially in our our own day, our own uh, generation. Uh, Nowadays, all too often, uh, if we were asked what a good minister of Christ Jesus looked like, we would probably say something like, 
Uh, he's a stand-up comic, so he can give uh, attractive talks that are full of humour, and we like to listen to them. Uh, we might say he's a CEO, he's able to have vision and direct a large organisation to scale new heights. Uh, maybe we might say that he's a social media guru. He's got a Twitter feed that you know, rivals Stephen Fry or Rhiannon or someone, I don't know. Uh, we laugh, but that is so often the picture that the world holds up of a good minister of Christ Jesus. Now, those things in themselves aren't necessarily bad. But notice what the New Testament says here. A good minister is somebody who takes seriously the task of instructing the congregation with the gospel. He might be all those things. He might be a stand-up comedian to rival Michael McIntyre. He might have a Twitter platform that rivals any celebrity. Uh, He might be a great visionary who can direct a church and help it to reach the places where God has called it to be. But if he's not teaching the gospel, he's not a good minister, as the Bible would have it. And yet the nourishment, the the job starts at home, says Paul, because actually uh, Paul tells us that uh, uh, a good minister is someone who is feeding themselves before they feed others. Verse 6, he says that Timothy has been brought up in the truths of the faith and the good teaching that he has followed. Uh, We were told when I was a a CU uh, leader at a university that leaders are readers. Slightly cheesy, but it's true. Leaders are readers. Uh, First, if if you're going to lead others, if you're going to feed them, you've got to be feeding yourself first. Uh, We know that Timothy grew up in a Christian home. He knew the scriptures and the gospel from a very, very early age. And Paul tells him, keep going. Don't abandon that. That is the platform on which your ministry is going to be built. Uh, the uh, Book of Common Prayer, the, uh, the Church of England's uh, prayer book uh, that kind of holds the standards for what we, um, we believe, uh, says in, when, it, when it ordains uh, vicars, it has this, this wonderful phrase that encourages us to uh, be daily reading and weighing the scriptures that ye may wax riper and stronger in your ministry. Slightly quaint phrase, isn't it? But it gets it, doesn't it? It's very vivid. Uh, Daily reading and weighing the scriptures, that ye may wax riper and stronger in your ministry. As you feed on the Bible, you grow. Guess what? It's like my son Timothy. He eats more and more stew. He gets bigger and bigger. He grows. He gets stronger. It's the same with us spiritually. The problem is, as any minister will tell you, and probably any Christian can tell you, that the first things to go are your Bible reading and your prayer. And Paul says here that gospel ministry starts on your knees and at your desk before anything else. Uh, This foundation is vital because, very secondly, uh, uh, Paul tells us that a faithful minister is somebody who avoids unhelpful speculation. Uh, He tells that in verse 7, doesn't he? Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Uh, Rather, train yourself to be godly. Uh, The false teachers clearly were, were occupying themselves with untruths. They were things that were not from God at all. They were just pointless prattling that was really just sowing trouble. It wasn't building up the church in Ephesus. And Paul says, by contrast, a faithful minister is somebody who stays close to the gospel, the essential gospel truths. Uh, Previous generations used to talk about the three R's of the gospel. You have the three R's, don't you, writing, reading, uh, arithmetic. The three R's of the gospel are ruined by sin, the redemption by the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross, and the need to be regenerated, to be born again by the Holy Spirit. It's all drawn from the New Testament. That is where the minister should be going. He shouldn't be prattling around with silly things. 
He should be staying close to the gospel and its essentials. Finally, and we've already looked at this, haven't we, in the children's slots, a faithful minister is somebody who trains himself in godliness. He says at the end, doesn't he, verse 7, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Uh, If you're on a fitness drive, it always involves two things, doesn't it? It involves eating well and training well. There's always those two sides. You miss out one or the other, and you will never get as fit as you could be. Uh, And Paul's talked a little bit to Timothy about the need to be eating well, to be feeding well off the Scriptures. And now he turns to the training bit of it. Uh, If he wants to grow spiritually fit, he's got to exercise. He's got to train himself to be godly. Uh, Just as today, the uh, ancient world uh, placed a really high value on being physically fit. Any kind of town of any size would have had a a gym where people went, they would exercise, sometimes they'd be doing for competitions, but quite often it would just be to look good and to keep in shape. Uh, And again, there's nothing wrong with that on one level. We're given bodies to enjoy. Uh, Everything God created is good. Our bodies are good. It's right that we uh, should enjoy sports and keeping fit. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. Uh, but as Paul reminds Timothy here, there's a, there, there is a kind of a, a limit to that. Physical fitness will last only for this life. Inevitably, we decline. I'm sad to say my body is declining, and it's tragic. I'm not even 30 yet, and I'm not, I'm not as fit as I was when I was 21. I have to accept it, as hard as it might be to, uh, to realise. Physical fitness lasts only for this life, but spiritual fitness lasts for eternity. As we grow more like Jesus, because he's at work inside us by his Spirit, as we feed on his word, as we cooperate with him uh, in spiritual disciplines, in in growing more like him, uh, we will be transformed. And that will hold value, not just now, but uh, when the Lord Jesus returns and we're with him forever. The writer of the Hebrews uh, tells us this, strive for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And of all the people in the congregation, of all the people gathered here this morning, that charge hits for me first and foremost, doesn't it? The faithful minister is somebody who sets the example, who leads the way, who is training himself in godliness. There was an old uh, Scottish minister, Robert Murray Machane, who used to say to to, uh, other ministers, my people's greatest need is my own personal holiness. Challenging quotes and one to reflect on. Uh, my parents-in-law have got several trees in their garden, and uh, I think it was about a year ago, maybe a bit longer, I can't remember exactly now, but uh, there was a storm, and without warning, one of them fell across a bee road that runs outside their uh, house and blocked it for half a day, and it was completely without warning. The tree looked healthy, it was big, it was strong, it stood there for years. Uh, and when the tree surgeon came to, to have a look, he realised that it was completely rotten uh, down the middle. Uh, The sad truth is that that often works spiritually as well. It's very easy to give off an appearance of spiritual healthiness. And the sad truth is, as you grow up as a minister, you actually just get better at it than most of you are, to be honest. Actually, I'm very adept at giving off the impression that life is better than it should be. And the danger is that inside, things can be decaying and dying like that tree. Uh, I realised this morning that I am the person to whom Paul's words are most applicable to. Paul is writing to a young pastor in a church. Uh, Most of you, as far as I know, are not pastoring a church in the same way that uh, that I am. I'm the one who these words hit hardest. 
Uh, so can I ask your prayers uh, that this portrait that Paul holds out for Timothy would be faithfully reflected in me, in Alan, and in all those who have some kind of level of pastoral and spiritual oversight at Holy Trinity. Uh, We long to be people who are faithful ministers, shaped by the gospel, whether that's in public, whether that's in private, people who will stand against false teaching, who will be feeding ourselves and you guys on the gospel so that we can grow up to be a church that is a pillar and foundation of the truth. Doesn't matter, does it, whether it's sewage or whether it's false teachers in a church. It doesn't take much for the whole thing to be damaged by that. And it's only if we're alive to the danger and we're praying for faithful ministers can we spot it, can we take action against it and become the church that God calls us to be. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we do thank you for these words from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Uh, We thank you for his wisdom, his wisdom in spotting false teaching and his wisdom in advising Timothy. And we do long that Trinity as a church should be a church nourished on the truth of the gospel, a pillar and foundation of truth. We pray that we would be alive to false teaching, we would spot it, we would reject false teaching that rejects your creation. And we would encourage and nourish one another on the gospel, and especially those who have oversight over us. Uh, Please help us, we pray. Uh, to be faithful uh, in your service. Amen.